Engage quantum drive. Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 8, Midnight Blue, which was written by Brandon Braga and Andre Bromanis and directed by John Kassar. So we might have a little bit of a problem this week, but it's one of those good problems that you get sometimes. Okay. We have been getting so many new reviews and so many emails. No way! That I can't go through all of them in one episode or else it's all we're going to do. So... That is amazing. Yeah, we'll hit a few for every episode going forward. And then once in a while, I'm responding to emails directly and we might not get to every email on the show, but we will get to as many as we can. Yes. Our reviews first. We have two today. The first one is from Kayla Alexia, who starts off by saying the Orville podcast I needed. I'm a huge Orville fan who's been unable to convert my friends to fans. And I've been needing more Orville discussion, and this podcast has more than filled that gap. Love the analysis and the fun facts. Cannot wait to watch new episodes of the Orville so I can listen to the podcast. Keep up the great work. Yay! I'm glad we can fill that void that you need. Just getting to geek out with other people who are just as excited about something is one of the best things. And it makes me happy that you can land here and get that when you can't find it IRL. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Our next one comes in from Eddie M, who says, from must see to must listen. The Orville is appointment television for me every week. And now Quantum Drive has become appointment listening. I drive a lot for work and you guys keep me entertained for the entire drive. Keep up the great work. You have a lifetime listener here. Ooh, that's a commitment. And I am happy to hear that. Also, it's appointment television for me, too. And lately, I've been loving episodic TV. So it gives me something to look forward to every week. Absolutely. I like it. And it makes me happy that Quantum Drive is appointment listening, too, and that we get to keep you company while you're driving. Thank you for letting us hang out with you in your car. If you'd like us to read one of your reviews, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star written review, and we will hopefully get around to reading it on the show. We do have one email today. This comes in from Michael Wilkinson. He says, I don't use Apple Podcasts, so I'm giving you my five-star review via email. Every time I'm watching a new episode of The Orville, I'm wondering what Rob and Katie are thinking. Your podcast is the perfect complement to a great show. As a fellow male nurse, I'm pulling for Nurse Park just as much as you are. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) I read a tweet from Rob the other day saying that the amount of work that goes into content creation can be crushing with few compliments. I can only imagine how hard it is to put a show together after a full day of adulting. I don't get much thanks in my line of work either, and I understand. Please know that your podcast makes me happy. And get this line. Ready? I'm ready. I look forward to it, and the joy I get from hearing you two talk about a show I love gets passed on to each patient I care for. Oh, don't. I can't cry today. We're just about to record. (laughs) Really? That is amazing. We've been getting a lot more reviews and emails, and it's just really fulfilling to know that people like the show Mm -hmm. and that they get something out of it more than you and I just like 
BSing about a show we love. Yeah. So it means a lot. And I appreciate what you do because I know nursing is a thankless job. And thank you for making us a part of that. Yeah. Thank you for putting good into a universe that definitely needs it right now. See you in the future. In the future. That just makes me happy that people are listening all the way to the end. I know. <laughs> I was talking to Mark the other day and he's like, oh, I bet people don't even listen to the one sentence reviews. And I'm like, excuse me. I feel like I would be one of those people like, what is Mark thinking this week? Yeah. Why would you not listen to the highlight of the show? <laughs> Mark is the highlight, y'all. Yeah, we're just we're, we're the appetizer leaning up to the main course. That is Mark's one sentence review. And there's so many more of those that don't get to the final episode. That is and, true. Uh, I know Rob puts them on his Patreon. So if you're ever like, what else is Mark saying? You can hear all the other takes. If you would like to send us an email, you can send one to Quantum Drive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod. You can join the Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to those alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we talk about the episode, Katie has trivia. I do. I got some trivia and fun facts. And I forgot to say I sure do today, but that's <laughs> it was okay. close enough. <laughs> so this episode is entitled Midnight Blue. I was like just looking up what is midnight blue? What does mm -hmm. it mean? It's a dark shade of blue named for its resemblance to the apparently blue color of a moonlit night sky around a full moon, which is such a specific color. Mm. <laughs> like that's just something where I feel like it has its own mythos around it. But I had a theory that the name of this episode is midnight blue because it might be referring to the luminites in this episode that we see that are that rare blue color. And then Topa goes chasing after that in the moonlight before Topa's kidnapped. And we have the double full moon up there, too. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is my theory. That makes sense to me. Also, this is the longest episode to date, clocking in at one hour and 27 minutes. There's still room for another episode to beat that. But this was like a feature length movie. Yeah. A lot of movies on average come in at around 90 minutes. So this is right on the border of that. Yeah, this is like a feature length Orville. And I know I wasn't complaining about that. And it, I started realizing today that there's only two more. Mm -hmm. So I'm grieving that a little bit. I can't believe we only have two episodes left. Next, I have mostly Dolly fun facts, which seems appropriate <laughs> for this episode. The first one being after the evening meal and while the female Mocklins are dancing around the fireplace, there's a song that's playing and it is an instrumental cover of a Dolly Parton song called Jolene. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Dolly's music, if you put on Jolene, you will notice immediately it's the same song. I recognize the song right away. And I was like, wait, is that a Dolly Parton song? Because I'm just not that familiar with her catalog. But I've definitely yeah. heard that song plenty of times before. Mark listened to a podcast about Dolly Parton and then he read a book. And so he loves Dolly Parton. And so as soon as that started playing, he's like, hey, that's Jolene. <laughs> it's like, all right. And I started, I write, I wrote it down right away. The song Dolly is playing for Havina in that simulation mm -hmm. part of this episode is called Try. And that is from her 2014 album called Blue Smoke. So that was a newer song. Blue Smoke, Midnight Blue, Weird Connection. Maybe. Uh, I thought that as well, but I wasn't sure if that was me being too much of a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Probably, but I still noticed it too, so. Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting because I had not heard that song before. And I'm curious if it, I think it is like a rendition for the show. 
Oh, and okay. yeah, so it was neat to see Dolly Parton in this episode. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane also tweeted a fun fact saying Dolly and her side of the cabin were filmed in Nashville, while Havina's side was filmed in L.A. Thanks to the director, John Kassar, director of photography, Jeff Mygat, production designer, Stephen Lineweaver, and the talents of Dolly Parton and Rena Owen, you'd never know it. That is wild to me because I didn't know about that until after I watched the episode. Mm -hmm. And it brings us back to the idea of them putting that courtroom scene back together and what it took to do that. And this had to be a similar undertaking where they were bringing an actual set to another state to get this thing set up. And yet at the same time, they also had Reno and at one point go out to Dolly Parton because we've seen pictures with them together. And it's just, it's incredible what they pull off and you would never know. Yeah, I saw a tweet too from Tom Constantino who always tweets behind the scenes. And there was a picture of the set and on the set, it says something along the lines of like, thanks for sending us such an incredible set. Hello from Nashville. Mm -hmm. So they sent the set across the country and that's just wild to me. That's a lot of work. Oh yeah, they are doing everything they possibly can to make the best show that they can. Yeah, those are all the fun facts I have, but there's quite a bit of guest stars in this episode. Mm. We've talked about them in past trivia and guest stars, but Topa, played by Imani Pullum, is back. Havina is also back, played by Rena Owen, both amazing actresses. And every time I see them now, I'm like, oh. this episode in general had a really interesting discussion. So I was excited to see them bring Havina back. Mm. Also, the president is back played by Bruce Boxleitner. And we've talked about him before, but I thought it was worth mentioning that there is a new novella out called The Orville, Sympathy for the Devil, which is written by Seth MacFarlane. And it's narrated by Bruce Boxleitner. And it's now out on ebook and audiobook for people to buy and listen to. And my understanding is it was an episode that they didn't get to make this season. Yes. Originally, the season was supposed to have 11 episodes, but because of the pandemic that cut into production, obviously increasing the length, but they also had to end up chopping one episode. I assume just based on the costs of making up footage that they lost and things like that. So yeah, that lost episode became a novel. Yeah. And I know you and I have plans to listen to it or read it soon. We do. In the near future. So I'm excited about that. Also, a fan favorite makes an appearance in this episode. Dan is back. I love Dan. Dan is played by Mike Henry, who is also a voice actor and has been an American dad, family guy. And Rob, you're also a fan of Gilmore Girls, if I remember correctly. Love Gilmore Girls. He played a character named Ed in Gilmore Girls, and he showed up in like four episodes. I don't know if the name is specific enough for me to place it, but... I know, but I I saw that he was in Gilmore Girls, and I just felt like that was an important fact to share, that he was also in your beloved Gilmore Girls. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Next up is Noshir Dalal, who played a very big role in this episode the torturous Garkal. The actor said on Twitter, monsters and stories can serve as a cautionary tale, a chance to put a face on our own demons so that they can be confronted. Thank you, Seth MacFarlane, Tom Constantino, and John Kassar for letting me be my worst self. And man, that character was was intense and very well done. Oh, yeah. And last but not least, Dolly Parton is in this episode. I don't know if you noticed. Previously, Ed had shared her music with Havina and it spoke to her. So he got a simulation put together so Havina could meet Dolly Parton in this episode. And Dolly played herself. 
Dolly has been a standard in the music industry since her album debut in 1967 called Hello, I'm Dolly. Jeez. She has topped the charts with her music, starred in films from 9 to 5 from 1980 and The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas in 1982, which she earned a Golden Globe for. Oh, wow. And uh, she also has a theme park called Dollywood in Tennessee, which I have been to. <laughs> so I just thought I needed to say that. So if, you, if you're ever, I can't remember where. We drove like an hour to go to it and I wanted a really scary corkscrew roller coaster, but I went to Dollywood. So I've actually been there. I don't know that I would make the trip to Dollywood, but I hope you had a good time. I was in Tennessee as a kid. We had won a competition. We went to, I think it was called Worlds. So like it was the big event and it was held at the University of Tennessee. So my family just decided, hey, let's go to Dollywood for the afternoon. So it was like a special little add on. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's a cool place. I don't know if you ever had a chance to. It celebrates all things Dolly and I think it's kind of fun. So <laughs> those are all, all the right. fun facts and guest stars for this episode. Okay. Bordis meets Kelly in the mess hall for a drink and confides in her that he's having trouble dealing with the fact that Topa has a crush on a boy. When Kelly suggests that she might be more comfortable speaking with another female, Bordis thinks that she should be the one to approach Topa since they already have a good rapport. When Kelly goes to talk to Topa, she admits to liking a boy, and Kelly suggests that she tell him how she feels. In engineering, Topa asks Gordon to have a meal with her, and while the rest of the crew catches on quickly, it takes Gordon a while to realize that he's being asked out. He awkwardly declines the advance, likening Topa to that of a sister. I immediately knew it was going to be someone older and a part of the bridge crew. Really? Because yeah. my initial thought was it was going to be Marcus or Ty because we don't have a lot of other children on the ship that we've spent a lot of time with. At first, I was like, it could be Marcus. And I was like, nope, I know they're going to go with. I thought it might be Ed. So I was a little bit surprised that oh. it was Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a really funny scene. He did not pick up on that fast. No, and it resulted in one of the best lines of the episode when John drops the. Yeah, there you go, Sherlock. <laughs> Topa took it pretty well, though. Oh, yeah. Well, Topa doesn't show like a huge emotional range. She's very reserved in general. Yeah. But doing that in public and taking that kind of a risk in front of other people, very ballsy. I also enjoyed Bordis and Kelly's shorter discussion in the mess hall. Mm -hmm. Bordis being like, you will do it then. Thank you. <laughs> because Kelly is offering to be that liaison. And it was sweet because Kelly's trying to encourage her and then it's Literally Gordon, but it never came up again. So I just don't know if it was a little little gag or maybe a little gag, but also maybe to set up Gordon for later because mm -hmm. he does play a part yeah. in something concerning her later in the episode. That is true. He's more invested in Topa's future. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he already was, but maybe made him realize how much he cares about her as like a family. Yeah. In the briefing room, Admiral Halsey is informing the crew about their mission to inspect the Mocklin Female Sanctuary. Grayson and Bordis will represent the Union, while the Mocklin government will also be sending a shuttle. Both parties will be making sure the colony is abiding by the terms of their agreement. Halsey reminds them that the Mocklins are their strongest ally against the Kalon threat, so they have to make sure that peace is preserved. As Grayson and Bordis are preparing for their trip, Topa asks to join them. While Bordis initially declines, Kelly changes his mind, suggesting that it will be good for her to spend time with other Mocklin females. As soon as Halsey reiterated the need to keep the peace with the Mocklins, I knew something was bound to go wrong. I guess I didn't pick up on that. I was just also like, 
kind of in that first part of the episode where I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And when Topa was going down to the planet is when it it clicked for me. I'm like, ooh, this is not going to be a good thing for some Mm. reason. And I don't like being that person who tries to predict what's happening in shows, but I tend to do that with this show. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. But something did happen with Topa. Yeah, it's hard not to predict when you're watching something analytically as well. Yeah, it's like trying to figure out like, oh, what's what what are the writers thinking? Like, where are they trying to take this? And so I'm sitting there like, okay, they're going to do this. And there was definitely some like little twists and turns in there I didn't expect. But yeah, when I found out Topa was going to go down, I was like, (laughs) I like this for her, but I'm also a little stressed about this situation in general. Yeah. The Union shuttle lands at the sanctuary where they find Commander Kodan and his team already on the surface. They landed early and have completed their inspection finding that the inhabitants are in compliance of the agreement. As Topa exits the shuttle, Kodan refers to her as a disgusting creature, and Kelly talks down Bordas before he's able to respond. How do you say that? It's still a small kid. I don't understand that kind of mentality. Topa's got to have a thick skin on just the judgment that gets thrown at her all the time. Oh, for sure. Now, this is not the worst thing she'll have to endure this episode, but yeah, should not have to deal with that kind of verbal abuse either. And Bord is trying to assert dominance, which is what a papa bear should do. You kind of get a glimmer of that here of don't talk to my kid that way. Oh, yeah. I very much loved his posturing step in their direction because, yeah, he's just good dad being protective. Mocklins are just so antagonistic. It's really hard to be like, well, let me excuse away this behavior. It's sometimes it's just downright awful. Yeah. And man, I guess in this whole episode, there was a bit of a comeuppance with a lot of stuff that went down. But absolutely. This episode specifically really highlighted their brutal side. Mm-hmm. As they enter the sanctuary, Topa is overjoyed by the sight of it. They're brought to Havina's cabin where she's been listening to Dolly Parton music. Topa praises Havina's books but Havina returns her admiration for the person that Topa has become. She then invites them to stay for their evening meal, when they can witness a double full moon and the Luminites swarming. As Grayson and Bordas leave to conduct their survey, Topa stays behind to spend time with Havina. This conversation with Topa and Havina included something that I mentioned during our conversation about A Tale of Two Topas. So... In that episode, I had mentioned that while Havina's speech didn't result in the outcome they wanted during the original trial, it ended up becoming a catalyst for Topa's decision to become female again. And that's echoed here within the episode. Topa thanks Havina for the speech, and Havina says she failed her, but Topa says that it wasn't a failure, it just took a little longer. So I felt very vindicated in my interpretation of what was going on there. And then they literally address it here. And I was like, that's the thought I had. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the delayed helping, I guess. She helped. It just wasn't in the time frame that she had originally intended. Right. So the speech still had the intended impact, just not on the audience at that time, but for the person that it was intended for. Yeah, it's also really neat to see Topa finally meet Havina because it's an interesting juxtaposition to about a girl to now. Mm -hmm. So just getting to have them meet is such a warm, fuzzy feeling because you're like, oh, Topa's excited about this person who advocated for her Mm -hmm. when she was a baby. 
and I'll talk about more of this later, Havina has like a mythos around her and she almost seems larger than life. And I think it's neat because you always get told, don't meet your heroes. Yep. And I feel like this episode is an interesting discussion about that. There are throughout this episode as well, several moments where the score particularly stands out. And I thought one of them was here where they're walking through the sanctuary and there's this whimsical, almost like Disney movie-esque type score that's just fun. And you see the smile on Topa's face and it's all just so playful and nice. That whole sequence, though, when she's getting to see the sanctuary for the first time from a production perspective, the amount of work that would go into the makeup alone. I had a moment where I was like, should I try to count how many extras? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I can do that. But it was neat to see Topa's excitement of like, wow, I'm not the only one. And there's this happy, fulfilled community that's loving life. And I feel like that was represented well in that sequence. For sure. Yeah. At the evening meal, Topa excuses herself to see the Luminites. As she's watching them, Havina joins her and tells her about the rarity of the blue ones before giving her a necklace made from lava stones. She goes on to tell Topa that she could play an important role in the revolution. They have reestablished their underground network to bring female Mocklins to the sanctuary, but communications by messenger are slow. Topa can improve communications by passing encrypted messages between the sanctuary and their contact on Mockless. When Havina leaves, a blue luminite flies by, and Topa follows it into the jungle, where she is captured and taken into the Mocklin shuttle, which quickly departs. When she's like, I'm going to go look at the luminites, I'm like, she's getting taken. Yep. And then they threw a curveball in there by adding Havina. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe she's not going to get taken. But she did get taken. <laughs> <laughs> The blue luminite thing was interesting because Havina was saying it's rare and it's supposed to bring good fortune. And then I think it's ironic that she followed this blue luminite and it did not bring good fortune. Opposite of good fortune. Yeah. This is a moment where I felt a little sus towards Havina. I was feeling a little bit of that too. Like I understand her point of view. Yeah. But even at this point, I thought it was wildly irresponsible to get a child involved in something this dangerous. 100%. I was like, I respect your cause and what you're trying to do by getting female Mocklins to safety here at the sanctuary. But somebody with her mental prowess, I think should have more resources than to ask a young child this. Mm -hmm. And the way it was asked to felt a bit manipulative in the sense of like, you can't tell your father. It gave me the ickies a little bit. Yeah. And even Topa being as mature as she is, anytime that someone's like, oh, you can't tell this adult and you can't tell this adult, it's always like, oh, no. No. I was squirming a bit on the couch because I'm like, I was that age once. And I know, like, you think you're equipped. Like, I never want to be that person who's like, you don't know anything at that age because it's not true. Mm -hmm. But when you have an adult telling you something, you just instinctively want to trust this person, especially someone you admire. And while you might believe in the cause, and I do feel like Topa is very mature for her age, you don't ask a kid that and put them in a situation that's so dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then my brain goes like, maybe it's like plausible deniability or something like if Topa got caught, it's just a kid who didn't know any better. So the repercussions wouldn't be as bad. But it's like, I'm trying to justify why Havina is doing this. And I, I just can't get behind it. But also Havina knows her people too. So even with plausible deniability, I don't think the Mocklins would buy that anyway. No, it's just a really unfair position to put Topa in. Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole 
you meet somebody you are just like enamored with. It's just a power structure that is so askew. And that makes me uncomfortable. Same. So, yeah, this scene started sweet and then quickly turned a very different direction than I expected. (laughs) Uh, And then the Mocklins taking her and I was like, is this unrelated? Like I was expecting the Mocklins to take Topa, but I didn't know why. Mm. Soon after, Bordis noticed that Topa is missing and the entire sanctuary goes looking for her. Kelly finds the necklace and the Mocklin shuttle is gone. So they conclude that the Mocklins must have taken her. When they get back to their shuttle, they find the launch thrusters and communications are offline. With the ion trail of the Mocklin shuttle dispersing fast, they decide to pursue instead of returning to the Orville. When they're leaving the planet yeah. and they don't have the launch thrusters, so they have to use the main ones. Yeah. That quick jump to speed reminded me of the start of a roller coaster, at least the ones that go right to speed right away. Mm-hmm. I don't really like roller coasters. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan either. Yeah. I feel like as I've gotten older, they get scarier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you just think the risk is too high, <laughs> even though it's the same. I feel like the Mocklins are so shady here just to go in and to mess with the thrusters. Did they not think they were going to get caught? They weren't super sneaky about it. They had to have known that they were going to get caught. But I think they felt because of where they were going and that nobody knew it was there. If they got enough of a head start, they wouldn't be traced. I have to say as well, though, and I forgot to mention this when they went to see the planet and they came in on the shuttle, the planet was so pretty. And I was like, I want to go on a vacation here. Yep. Gorgeous planet. Or live there. Honestly, it was so pretty. Leaving, it was a much more violent exit from the planet. And it was interesting. Like Kelly says, do you want to go back to the Orville or should we just go chase this ion trail? And I mean, obviously... The dad in Bordis is going to say, we're following the Ion Trail. Yeah. And they had no way to communicate with the Orville. So I was like, why didn't they run back to the village really quick to be like, hey, send a message up to the Orville? Because they have a way to communicate. One would think. That's what, but with Topa. Topa was going to be a means of communication. So there's got to be some sort of array they have to communicate. So my thought is like, I know time is of the essence But I just don't know why they wouldn't have run back and been like, yo, send a message to the Orville. Say, Topa has been taken. We have to go chase this Mocklin shuttle. I guess it depends on how fast the Ion Trail was dispersing. And they just had to make a quick decision in that moment. Like, we're either going after this now or it's gone. Yeah, I get it. My brain just does the thing where it's like, well, wait a minute. What if it was a perfect scenario? Also, dealing with a shuttle that's broken is stressful as heck, too, probably. Oh, sure. So... Yeah, definitely appreciated Bordis's not even hesitation, not even using words, but just a very clear, no, we're going after Topa. Yep. On the Orville, since they've been unable to contact the shuttle that was expected back already, Mercer gives the order to enter the nebula. They bring Havina on board, and Ed asks her if she has any idea why they might have taken Topa. She says no, but Ed knows she's holding back and continues questioning. Havina finally relents and admits that she asked Topa to help the underground network, as well as shared the identity of their contact and the quantum frequencies that messages were being sent on. Infuriated that Havina would enlist the help of a child, Ed brings the issue to Halsey. Appreciated Ed being like, no, that's ridiculous. You would bring Topa into this because it helped justify and validate my feelings a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I was sitting there like, am I supposed to be like rooting for (laughs) Havina right now? Because I feel a little bit like I shouldn't be. And so Ed being like, why would you do that? Man, how do you think he had a sixth sense about it? I think he had a good point in that he was talking about his awareness of his ship and his crew. 
And there's very little that goes on there that he doesn't have at least an inkling about. And Havina is the captain of the sanctuary. That's true. So relating that to her and saying, you got to know what's going on here, especially when you used to run an underground network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not letting on. Yeah. Yeah. Disappointed in Havina, to say the least, but appreciative that she actually told Ed. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it as well that Ed just immediately took it to like a thousand. It's like I'm contacting the union. There's no choice in this. If you had told me in season one or two that there would be a point where Ed was acting more mature than Havina, I would not have believed you. <laughs> I don't think I would have either. It's a switch on the on the head quite a bit. Yeah, which I will talk about a little later. <laughs> <laughs> Once speaking to Halsey, they reveal the evidence they have so far, but it's not much. In order to officially pursue the matter, Havina would need to testify before the Union Council. But that means admitting that the agreement has been violated. Fearing the safety of the sanctuary, she refuses to testify. Disappointed, Mercer asks her to stay aboard until Tala's investigation is complete. Meanwhile, Grayson and Bordis set course for the Zanari system, which contains only one uninhabited planet. Similar to your sentiments from the last scene, I have loved Havina as a character up to this point. But in these last couple scenes, she has started to lose me a bit. Yeah. I understand the necessity of this for the story, and I'm very happy with where they ended up by the end of it. But at this point, I was like, please don't ruin Havina. But it does, however, from a storytelling perspective, illustrate how easy it is for someone to justify their actions in the name of a cause that they're fighting for. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with it because I do feel like it brings up questions in regard to what is the cost of doing something mm -hmm. for the greater good. And sometimes things get blurry, but I do not personally feel like it was that blurry here. Bringing a child in as a, an active participant of a legal and dangerous go-between messenger mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Because I don't know how old Topa is, and I know Mocklin's mature faster than like, humans do, but regardless, this was not a job for Topa. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah, it was unfair of Havina to ask this. And like in the previous scene Ed mentioned, why would you ask her knowing what her answer was going to be? Topa had a choice, yes. But did Topa have a choice when we know that Topa idolizes Havina? Mm -hmm. Of course she'd do anything for her. Like the worst obvious scenario I can think of is like a rock star. Just being like, I'll do anything for this rock star. It's very different, but also kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And seeing this lack of judgment is kind of hard for everything we've seen so far from Havina. True, though it's been a year since Sanctuary happened. And in that time, every day, she's probably thinking about all the infant females that she is not saving and that are being given the treatment to become males. And it's probably weighing on her pretty heavily. And it took a year for her to see an opportunity. Granted, it shouldn't have been an opportunity she considered, but she was so relieved to see an opportunity that she just took it, not thinking about what she was doing. Yeah, it's another one of those morality and philosophical questions that you obviously don't get the answer to, but it, it makes you think like, what mm -hmm. would you do in this situation? What is the right answer or what is the wrong answer or is there a right answer or wrong answer? It's just this was a tough one. There's a right answer. You don't put children in harm's way. That's yeah, the right that's answer. What I, yeah, I, know, I was just like saying like it was yeah. more of like a, you marinate with it. But yeah, in this situation, regardless 
she had enough data to know that this is not it. This is not the solution you might want, or it might not be the solution you need right now, but there's other ways. I think Havina is smart enough to find other ways because she already did. Yeah. At Ed's request, Tala escorts Havina to the simulator, saying that there's someone the captain wants her to meet. She enters to find the cabin and falls to her knees when Dolly Parton walks in. Havina calls out Ed's motives, but can't resist the lure of seeing her inspiration in person and lays out her troubles to Dolly. The singer then tells a story of her own and emphasizes how important it is to do the right thing in the here and now. Dolly then grabs a guitar and sings for Havina, who soon has tears in her eyes. After, Havina enters Mercer's office and tells him that she will give her testimony to the council. What did you think about all this? The simulation and Dolly Parton and all that? Yeah. I liked it, but I also saw it coming a mile away. So for me, as soon as Tala said there's someone that the captain wants you to meet, I was like, oh my God, we're going to get a Dolly Parton cameo. Yeah, I picked that up when they were going to the simulation too. I was like, oh, it's going to be Dolly Parton. Yeah. Because they kind of like, she has a wall of Dolly Partons in her cabin. Mm -hmm. What did you think about Havina taking a knee for Dolly? I don't think she necessarily took a knee. She was reduced to her knees. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She was so blown away by Dolly Parton walking in the room that her legs just kind of like buckled underneath her. I mean, she walks with a cane already. Oh, I know. (laughs) I was just like, Mark and I were talking about like, is it odd that Havina idolizes Dolly this way? Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out what made Dolly like a prophet to Havina. And I know it's the nine to five song that was played in the shuttle. Yeah, I don't trip over that too much because I believe Havina's idolization of Dolly ever since she first heard her. It's been like, this is an amazing voice of an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. And how many amazing women do you think are in Havina's life that have made art this good? It just doesn't come around for her too often that she's been exposed to. It's an interesting dialogue about it because Havina is that person to other people. Yes. So it's interesting to see her do that to someone else. And yes, it's Dolly who's a simulation. Dolly Parton, I've just heard wonderful things about. So like seeing her was a little ray of sunshine. And I like that it wasn't a life parable. She didn't go in there and got like a, I don't know what the right word is. Like everything that worked in that scene, like Dolly told the story about her mother being resourceful. Mm -hmm. and. It was just a conversation between two people and then she sang a song, but it wasn't just like she sat down and it seemed like Havina arrived at her decision on her own Mm. versus being convinced by Dolly Parton. Yeah, I like that Dolly basically said, oh, it's just a story. And yeah, it did have a little meaning, but it's more what she said after the story that was resonant. And then the song itself obviously had a huge impact. It's not just that Dolly shared something important that affected Havina. It's also Havina in this moment realizing that Dolly to her is how Topa sees her. So she's relating, oh, my idol can influence me so easily. And I think she did actively realize that because she called it out. And then she's also realizing, oh, it wasn't fair for me to put Topa in that situation, not just because she's a kid but also because she would do anything for me. Yeah, like realizing, oh, this is not really Dolly Parton. This is a simulation of Dolly Parton. But 
this got me thinking all about simulations then too, and how you literally could meet anybody and you could experience so many different things Mm -hmm. and how dangerous simulations could be just because you could create a reality that you've always dreamed of, but it wouldn't be real. And I started going down that rabbit hole just thinking about how a simulation of Dolly Parton (laughs) was made in this episode. You love pulling your brain out of the episode. (laughs) I, well, this is how my brain works, unfortunately. So sometimes I don't really have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> but I was glad that Havina did arrive at like, okay, this isn't right. Let me try to fix it or at least try to rectify it. Because it seemed like she was still not upset about what she did, but understood the ramifications of it. At least that was my impression. Yeah, I got in this moment that she finally realized that what she had asked Topa to do was unfair and is finally going, you know what? Even if I save all these lives as a result of Topo helping me, it's not worth the risk to her. And look at what happened. As soon as she got that information, she's snatched up by people. So the risk is huge. And she took it too far by asking for her involvement. I just like blood brought up like, oh, following the blue luminite. The luminites alone also were very pretty. And I really wish that they were real. They're like lightning bugs in our world, but better. I feel like... Her following the Luminite is also a way to be an allegory maybe for following something pretty or a good ideal into the darkness and then realizing it's not such a good idea or getting the consequences of it. I'm just a little disappointed in Havina at this point. I was up until this point because this is where she finally starts to realize that she made a mistake. And I think it's okay to accept your mistakes as mistakes. Granted, yeah, she should have been wise enough not to involve her in the first place, but she messed up. But at least she realizes it. She doesn't go through the whole episode going, oh, no, I did the right thing. Yeah. I think with the hindsight 2020 of knowing what happens with Topa, it still makes it a little hard because of, uh, you know, what ends up happening. Yeah. It does, but I don't think Havina can be held accountable for the actions of others completely either. But the butterfly effect, if she hadn't shared that information with Topa, then Topa wouldn't have been taken and tortured by... True. Yeah, so... But still, yeah, Havina can't be held responsible for Topa getting tortured, is what I'm saying. No, but there was a catalyst moment that changed the trajectory of what Topa's evening was going to be. Yeah. And that's called a mistake. Yeah. And the mistake had a lot of repercussions and a lot of stuff after this point, like the roller coaster that was set from this point forward. I did not see some of the things that happened coming at the end of this episode. Oh, no, me neither. Ugh. The Mocklin shuttle arrives at a base on the lone planet and Topa is taken to an empty room containing only a chair. Garkol, a one-eyed Mocklin, steps out of the corner and instructs Topa to sit. He begins questioning her about the network and strikes her when she refuses to answer. As the Union shuttle touches down on the lone planet, they detect multiple Mocklin life signs within the outpost. Meanwhile, at the Union Council meeting, Havina gives her testimony. The president then announces that there is enough information to begin a formal investigation. Outraged, the Mocklin delegate insists that Havina is the one that they should be focusing on couple things here. So first of all, I didn't expect him to actually hit a child, but damn. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've criticized the Mocklins for a lot, but this is a whole new level. This is pretty dark stuff. It is. I will say that, like I said earlier, the actor who plays Garkle did a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. The character alone of this quiet, seemingly kind under here, have some water, the way he speaks and then 
how he acts is so unsettling. But yeah, the Mocklins really need to reevaluate some of their protocols and life choices. A lot of things. And I think the weirdest thing about this is that from a Mocklin's perspective, once you're dealing with a female, it doesn't matter if they're an adult, if they're a kid, they're trash, they're garbage in their eyes. I know that was always brought up in past seasons, but I feel like this season specifically, it's being put in the forefront of how the Mocklins really view female presence in general. They're not worth anything. I don't remember if it was at this point or a little bit later that he's saying, yeah, if you just tell me what I need, then you can live. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're going to kill her. There's no way that they're going to let her go after this. Yeah. Why would they? And yeah, that was rough. When he hit Topa, I was like, okay, they're really going to go there with Mm -hmm. that. And then the Mocklin's bringing up that Havina is the problem, already trafficking people and trying to spin it on its head and taking no responsibility and... There's just so many questions that get brought up in this scenario where Havina is technically breaking their agreement. Mm-hmm. There's just so much here that the Mocklins are in the wrong, 100%. Oh, yeah. And it just shows how politics can get so muddied by twisting, placing blame elsewhere and not allowing people to look at themselves and go, okay, what can we do better? So I feel like there's a little bit of commentary here about politics in general. Oh, totally. And that goes right into the other point, too, is that in the union council, there's that classic case of, but what about, that's a move that politicians make all the time. We see it happen. It's this common tactic where instead of addressing the thing you're being approached with, you just deflect the attention. Yeah. So as soon as they're like trying to figure out, we're looking for this missing girl and they're like, but what about Havina? And what about what Havina did? Not even talking about the thing that they're actually talking about, just going, But over here, there's another thing we could talk about that's not directed at me. Also, just like not even being worried about the fact that someone was kidnapped. Yeah. And to just complete disregard for the importance of that situation. It wasn't even a thought to them. No. As Grayson and Bordas make their way to the outpost on foot, they attempt to leap over a large gap. Bordas makes it, but Grayson falls and injures her shoulder. While they wait for a medical device to heal it, Kelly apologizes for encouraging Topa to join them, but Bordas tells her how much he values having her in Topa's life. Correction in both of their lives. Yes. I didn't expect Grayson to fall. No. I was like, he's going to grab her. And he just, you know, that went totally different than I expected. And when she did, I didn't expect it to be as shallow as it was. I thought this was a really big fall and her falling was going to be like a huge problem. Yeah. I really enjoyed seeing the future Band-Aid is what I'm going to call it. Um, (laughs) The healing device. Yeah, the healing. Yeah, the future Band-Aid. I really enjoyed seeing the I know it's so small, but like the screens working and the scan that he did. And then he hit a couple buttons and it's going to heal. And I'm like, I want that in real life for just my general aches and pains, please. (laughs) Just (laughs) I like seeing that kind of thing because I don't feel like we've gotten a look at a lot of that stuff. No, there's been a few new devices here and there. But yeah, yeah. I'm savoring those moments because I'm like, (laughs) but the most important part of this is, did you see it coming? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) This moment is probably my biggest issue with this episode. Surprisingly, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) So as soon as they like lingered on them looking at each other and there was the slightest of leans. Smooching, maybe. (laughs) I was like, what is happening? What? What? There is no precedent for this whatsoever that we've seen in any episode. The only thing I can think of that would even possibly lead in this direction happened in this episode where earlier 
while they're at that evening dinner, yeah. someone's like, are you two mates? And they're like, no, we're friends. They didn't even do it in like a, oh, of course not. But they're actually attracted to each other. It wasn't in like one of those playful ways. They're like, no, we're friends. We're colleagues. It was super serious. It didn't feel like they were embarrassed by the question and they were trying to hide feelings. There is not enough precedent leading up to this point to make this leap that all of a sudden they're like romantically interested in one another. The leap like when they tried to jump over the crevice. Exactly like that kind of a leap. (laughs) I can justify it. Okay. Because there's a lot of micro things throughout this season specifically. And then also when you look in past seasons, I cannot remember the episode name. But when Kelly and Bordis got imprisoned for being Scorpios, Mm -hmm. they've had a lot of history between them. The two of them have had a lot of big things that have happened to them. True. And in A Tale of Two Topas, Kelly was a key player in that. And I can see someone being like, Kelly's being like a motherly figure to my child and Bordis being attracted to that. And I can justify there's a lot of stuff here that makes sense for why this is blossoming and the fact that they're on this mission to go save Topa together, just the two of them without any support. I think there's been enough for me that I can see it. I can justify it. For me, Bordis has always been so committed to Clyden that he has overlooked so much stuff that in my mind, because Mocklin's mate for life, Bordis's mind was never on anything else. Like he's never even considered another person and thought about them in a way like that. So even though Clyden's been out of the picture for a few episodes, it doesn't leave enough runway for him to go, oh, I'm going to start looking at someone else now. It just didn't click for me at all. See, I don't feel that way. I feel like for someone who may be in a toxic relationship, because let's be honest, Clyden and Bordis were a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And he may have felt like this is all I have. This is what I do, like the duty of being in that relationship. And Clyden just completely... In a way, the way Clyden left pretty much what he said to Topa, no regard for Topa as a person. And I can see Bordis going, all right, I'm done. Like, this is it. The end of this relationship has occurred. Clyden has moved on. And taking that time where he's discovering himself now mm-hmm. and maybe seeing things he didn't see before and giving himself permission to maybe feel a little bit closer to someone who's not Clyden because now he finally has the chance to. And Someone who's interested in his daughter. And Borda says at the beginning of the episode, Clyden was the one who used to do all this like interpersonal stuff. Yeah. So Kelly's trying to help. It kind of makes sense to me. It was the most blindsiding thing I've seen in this season. I did not see it coming. When it happened, I didn't expect it and I didn't understand it. For me, there's just no breadcrumbs at all. It's just something that came out of nowhere. As soon as this happened, all I could do was find the breadcrumbs. So for me, I'm kind of into it. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) I want to see where it goes. I want Bordis to have happiness. It was a different thing to see because you don't expect like, I always feel like Kelly's going to end up with Ed. But this season, it hasn't felt it's been very Mm wishy-washy with them and very much. I don't know. Will they? Won't they? I don't know how much is going to come from the Bordis thing, because guess who's back in the picture? Right. So I don't know. It wasn't a total blindside to me, but it also was kind of like, okay, I'm curious to see where this goes. They have to do something with it or else they wouldn't have suggested it, even given the resolution of this episode. Yeah. But then when this episode resolves the way it does, I know we'll get there. 
I was angry that this was included at all because we finally saw a character make a change that we've been wanting for so long. And now there's something threatening that relationship again, even though it could be the best it's ever been. You mean Clyden and Bordas? Yeah. Okay. So like you're rooting for Clyden and Bordas is what I'm getting. I am now. Yeah. Okay. Obviously there's stuff at the end of this episode that changes a lot. Right. Like I don't feel like there's a lot of threat at the current moment. I think it was two people acknowledging that there may be something there. And then there's like a death of that at the end of the episode or at least a, oh, okay. I guess in that case, it just seems like, why? Why do it then? Because it's poetry, Rob. Sometimes life has weird poetry in it. Sometimes it doesn't have to have a reason. So they're just going to do a moment that has no lead up to it and then abandon it by the end of the same episode? No, no. I think this will come up again. I think that this is going to be some sort of storyline at some point. Yeah, I think it will, too. I think that in a way, when I say a death of it, it's in the way of like when your dreams get crushed a little bit or you like you finally are opening up and feeling like, okay, it's safe for me to do that. And then the curveball comes into your life to like mix that all up. Because honestly, Bordas has been through a lot lately Mm -hmm. and he's just going through a roller coaster of things. Topa, Clyden's leaving. I think it's just a life thing. And maybe he didn't realize he might be into Kelly. And it's something that he's like, maybe this is an option at some point. And then Clyden swoops in and changes all that. I don't know. I don't like it. (laughs) You got used to the bridge. So there's still time (laughs) to get used to this too. In the interrogation room, Topa still isn't talking. So Garkle reveals a krill pain stick. As we hear Topa yelling in agony, Kelly and Bordis infiltrate the base, taking out several guards as they make their way to Topa's location. Unable to take anymore, Topa agrees to tell them what they want to know. As soon as she does, the order is given to kill her, but Bordis and Kelly burst in just in time to save her. Before they leave, Bordis brutally attacks Garkle and takes out his one good eye with the pain stick. As they leave the planet, they evade and destroy several Mocklin fighters. So Adrian Plicky really crushes these scenes. She has done so much action stuff over the years mm-hmm. that it's probably second nature for her to drop into like soldier mode. Just the fact that Borda's clotheslined. That was great, too. Yeah. Those rifles were legit. I know we've seen the rifles, but I feel like they looked bigger in this sequence for some reason. They might have redesigned them for this season a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't tell because I was like, man, those are big boys. Yeah, they work together well as a team. And I feel like they were definitely on a mission to find Topa, obviously. But this whole sequence was impressive to see like the military action come out because we don't really get a lot of that in this. Yeah, not a ton. I can't blame Bordis either for going crazy on Garkhole. No. You torture a kid and that's what you're going to get. Papa Bordis coming out was very well justified. Kelly's telling him to stand down and Bordis mm-hmm. is just not listening because it's probably that whole like you see red situation. Oh, yeah. And he didn't kill Garkle, but sometimes people get their comeuppance and this may have been just a comeuppance for Garkle and maybe he can retire and find a new job. Yeah. There's certain things you don't do and I don't blame Bordis at all. Like it didn't make me look at him in any different light in any way. I was like, go Bordis because yeah. this situation is not normal. It's a unique situation, and sometimes there's unique answers to those situations. Oh, yeah. If you're going to have an episode where a kid's going to get tortured, there better be some comeuppance, and there's a whole bunch right here. The council members are now sitting down with the Mocklin delegates to discuss the matter of the missing child, and the Mocklins consistently reject their arguments. To counter, 
They once again bring up the Kalon threat and their importance to the Union's defense. At this, Gordon scoffs, and Ed tries to keep him from speaking up. Gordon loses his temper and chastises the council heads for continuing to compromise while the Mocklins treat others like garbage. At this, the Mocklins leave and say that they'll address the assembly. Can't fault Gordon. I will say that felt a little out of place, though. Like, would he have been in the room? Like, there's just a lot of questions I have. Yeah. I really love Gordon, and I appreciate this whole rant at the Mocklins because I completely agree with him. I think my brain just does like the whole hierarchy thing. Like, where would this have happened? But it doesn't matter. That's just me dealing with things in an analytical way. Yeah. On one hand, you can go, why is Gordon in the room and being allowed to witness all this in the first place? But on the other hand, the catharsis of Gordon verbally laying into them after we've seen all the stuff that the Mocklins have been doing just felt so good. I didn't care. (laughs) Yeah. Someone finally called them out. And it's another commentary on how messed up the political system can be and trying to save face and just be like, oh, well, we need them because they've got big weapons and we need the weapons and how awful it is that people can leverage those things just to act a certain way. Given this episode, you can equate in some way the union's actions to what Havina did. Havina decided to risk Topa's safety for the sake of all these infants that she's presumably going to save. Meanwhile, the union council is deciding to play it safe with the Mocklins and compromise and let them do whatever they want for the sake of the safety of the entire union protecting themselves from the Kalon. So they're making compromises in the same way that Havina is making compromises. Yeah, I mean, it, it could parallel pretty interestingly next to each other. And man, I don't know. It's just like all this stuff that is somehow become gray area in society and, you know, in the future as well as our time. It's mm-hmm. just disappointing how we make concessions for things just because oh, this person could help or, oh, they're acting kind of bad, but we need this. So we got to let them do that. And it is cathartic to have Gordon finally say what everybody's thinking. Yeah. But then it brings up the question of like, why aren't you all just saying it anyway? Because everybody's always harping on the good and the bad and the right and the wrong thing. And it's like, well, you're just sitting in the middle. So, man, I don't know. It's interesting, too, that the Mocklins seemingly took it kind of well. I know they got kind of upset, but they didn't get as mad as I thought they would. That's true. They didn't get violent. (laughs) Like they didn't. They just kind of said, oh, we're addressing the assembly. And then later on, I was thinking about like, oh, Gordon was saying, oh, I could get court martialed. And I was like, well, he won't now because of what ended up happening. True. And I just don't understand why more people won't say, I mean, you don't have to call people jerks or why more people won't just say what the right thing is. Like you can still like give us your weapons supply, but you also don't need to be a jerk about everything. And we won't tolerate that. It's fear of upsetting the status quo. They don't want to do anything to rock the boat when there's so much on the line. Yeah. And like the whole Kalon threat has been a huge, huge thing throughout this whole season. Mm-hmm. And that's just an interesting thing that keeps getting brought up. I have some things to say about that later. Same. <laughs> <laughs> The Mocklin ambassador addresses the assembly and announces that Havina's actions have annulled the agreement and they demand a formal apology. While the crowd mutters, he invites anyone to dispute the legality of their position. Just then, the doors open and Grayson, Bordas, and a beaten Topa enter the room. Grayson informs the crowd that they rescued Topa from a secret Mocklin black site where she was tortured for information. Bordas adds that the intention of her captors was to murder her. 
Upon hearing this, the delegates of the union rise to their feet. Peter Macon, absolutely fantastic in this scene. Yeah. I had an immediate feeling here that this was Bordis parting ways with the rest of the race. They confirm it later on, but right in this moment, you feel it, that tie sever. How much of a betrayal is it, what they did to Topa and how much he's put up with? Because he is a very open-minded Mocklin, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I love Bordis so much. There is a point, though, where you just got to go, this isn't who I am, and this is not something I even want to associate with anymore. The acting in this scene specifically, especially from Peter Macon, was just top notch. Yeah, you just feel it. You're like, this is not going to be the same after this moment. This is another one of those things, too, that even though this was written before it happened, is way more relevant in our current time where someone looks over at the rest of their people and says, If you're not going to protect our women, then we're done with you. Yeah. And I mean, this was filmed long ago, and it's scary sometimes how things line up Mm -hmm. the ways that they do. This scene obviously brings up a lot of emotion because you see Topa, who's all beat up, and the Mocklins are like, we don't know what's going on. And then Kelly's saying, we have scans of your site. We can prove it. And there's something satisfying about everybody standing up to go, this is not okay. But it took that for people to do it. Mm -hmm. sometimes it's interesting to see like what's the tipping point and how brutal that tipping point needs to be and that's just disappointing sometimes you allow so much to go on until you're like okay enough's enough but it has to be something like they kidnapped and tortured a small girl it's not fair a lot of life isn't fair but yeah i mean if you look away long enough yeah eventually they will step over the line they've been probably stepping over the line for a while but this is the first time people actually had visible proof of it Mm -hmm. following the meeting havina apologizes to bordas but he's not ready to forgive halsey informs them that Mockless has been expelled from the union but the sanctuary is now under their protection. In sickbay, Dr. Finn is tending to Topa when Tala enters to say that there's someone to see them. Clyden steps in and tells Bordis that he got there as soon as he could when he heard what happened. He then goes to Topa and takes her hand. Topa, the last time I saw you, I said some very hurtful things. I regret my words. I understand, Papa. It's okay. No, it is not. You were almost lost because of people who believed as I did. I, I, I thought I hated you. But even then, I never wished you harm. I simply did not know how to live with you. I allowed a lifetime of prejudice to cloud my judgment. That must change. I must change. I want you to know that I accept you, Topa, exactly as you are. And I am proud to call you my daughter. Later, at their family's evening meal, Grayson stops by and Clyden invites her to join them with an apologetic yet thankful nod. The end. 
a lot happened in this last bit of the episode. Yeah, I'm shocked that for an episode at this length, those back few minutes were so heavy loaded. Yeah, they were jam packed. Did not expect Mockless to be expelled from the Union. No. So that was a big twist that I was like, oh. I thought they would leave on their own. No, I don't think they got a chance to. <laughs> no, that, that might be it. <laughs> so the Mocklins are gone. Sanctuary is like a protected state now. Mm-hmm. Topa's doing better. Did not expect to see Clyden. No. And I thought Chad L. Coleman did a wonderful job in this scene. And it's nice to know that Clyden realized what was important and came back. And then I appreciated the conversation that they had because Topa's like, it's fine, Papa. Like, don't worry about it. He's like, no, it's not okay. What I said was awful. And like, he took responsibility Mm -hmm. for, honestly, some really bad stuff that he said. Yep. So I'm sure there's a lot that goes into this. It's not just like, "Uh oh, Clyden's back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm very curious to see how that's all going to pan out. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Kelly comes by a little bit of a love triangle, perhaps a faded one. But seeing Clyden smiling at the end. Oh, my God. That just warmed my heart so much. Yeah. And that he was more receptive and said thank you to Kelly and actually acknowledged. But we also found out here that they've completely renounced Mockless. And the Orville is where their home is now. Yep. Nowhere to go now. Mm -hmm. There's one thing in this scene, too. After the sick bay scene, we get a shot of Bordas and he has the biggest sigh. And you watch the weight of the world fall off of him mm-hmm. as Clyden is talking to Topa and he's seeing the Clyden that he always wanted, the one that is making the changes, the one that is accepting their daughter. Cause that had to be in the back of his mind, this constant stress. Oh, I'm sure. So to have that fall away from him and Peter Macon's so good at that, like you watch his face, his shoulders, everything just relaxes as he has this internal sigh and his whole body changes. And it's just so good. And like another way to view the whole Kelly Bordas thing is maybe it's just a familial thing. There was a lean in, though I will admit. There was a lean. That's the thing that bothered me. Like I loved everything else except the lean because it makes sense to me that Bordas would welcome her into their family based on the relationship she has with Topa. Yeah, I also do feel like Bordas does love Clyden, but their relationship, all we've ever seen is them butting heads, fighting. Mm -hmm. And part of me thinks the side could represent we're safe, Topa's okay, and the people I care about are sitting with me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to give yourself permission to just let go of the weight of everything. But I think maybe he's also been carrying this guilt about how Mockless cheats people and dealing with the fact that Topa is ostracized by their own people. And there could be a lot of reasons for it. But oh, sure. Yeah, I do feel like in general, any actor who has to wear makeup or a costume and then on this show, their bodily acting is not the right word. But you know what I mean? Yeah. The way they perform shows so much emotion in not just the face, but in how their bodies react to things. And I've just been so impressed with everybody this season. The performances are like tenfold what they were like in the past seasons. Mm-hmm. It was already good. And now it's even better. Yeah. And I feel like they have the time to really explore that, too, and yeah. give people those opportunities where they may not have before. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. What is your big takeaway from this episode? There's a lot that happened in this episode. There is. Overall, visually, it was very beautiful. I feel like we didn't talk about it too much throughout this episode, but the planets and then the nebula. Oh, like when the ship was flying through the nebula. Oh, man, it was some good spaceport. Absolutely. Even seeing like, I think it's New York City, right? Where the Union is. I believe so. But I love seeing future cities so much. And you could see like establishing shots where you can see the outside and how the roadways work and I really enjoyed all of that. So again, the episodes look really good. And there's always at least one view in every episode that I'm just like, oh my gosh, did you see how pretty that is? <laughs> and in this one, there were several. Yeah. I feel like the last part of this episode was my favorite. So like that last 10 minute chunk had the biggest impact on me. What I kind of needed from this episode. Totally. I thought it was shocking that the Mocklins were being removed from the Union. And so now that we're down the Krill and the Mocklins, and there's this big threat about Kalons, I wonder where that's going to lead. Hmm. Huh, just makes you think, uh-oh. <laughs> Setting the stage for something here. Oof. Yeah, so just thinking about how we're going down the big powerhouses that help beef up Union security and safety. We're down two. I don't know much else. Are there any others that they really talk about? None come to mind. So I'm very curious what that's going to mean. And we have two episodes left. So I have a lot of fear about what that's going to mean later on. I thought it was odd what they did with Havina this episode. I felt like it kind of discredited her and her wisdom a little bit. I know it's obviously that she doesn't know how to do everything perfectly, but I feel like it kind of dissolved this aura that I had built around her and like mm -hmm. her, the mysticism of Havina. So it's obviously a really short-sighted for her to bring a child into this. But I can see where the episode is trying to dive into that moral, philosophical question of doing something questionable for the greater good. Seeing an opportunity and just saying like, I got to try this. I think Havina was in the wrong. <laughs> she should not have asked Topa. And I think that she has enough wherewithal and wisdom and knowledge to have found another way. So I feel like it kind of did a disservice to Havina, but it also humanized her a bit. So I don't know if that was the intention. I understand that. Yeah. The Kelly Bordas ship is maybe sailing, but also there were some vibes between the two of them. However, Clyden is back, so we're going to have to see where the cookie crumbles because I don't know what can really grow from that. I did not see it coming, but I'm kind of here to see where it goes. I'm very curious what they're going to do with that. Because I don't think they would just pop that in here to just like, okay, you guys got this now. It's just Clyden's back. So I'm really interested to see what that's going to evolve into. I'll let you enjoy that. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, like, I love Clyden. Like, I love that Clyden's back and that Clyden had this growth and realization about, oh, I've been really awful. And I almost lost you and that it took that for me to realize what's important and that this is not who I am as a person. So I really respect that. But sometimes I also think it's too little too late. I'm glad that Clyden's back. I'm just very curious because I feel like there's a lot there that can happen between Bordas and Clyden. And I don't feel like Kelly's going to like, I don't see an affair situation happening. Yeah. I guess my big thought on it is I still don't understand why they did it if they're not going to pursue some sort of triangle, but I don't want them to pursue some sort of triangle because Clyden is finally growing into the person that Bordis was hoping he would become. And I just want them to be happy. I don't want them to have to deal with another problem 
where they just got over all this other tough stuff. I can see that. And I feel like from my understanding of how the Orville does stuff, I don't feel like that's their vibe. I don't think so either. But that's why in this moment, I don't know where they're going to go with it, obviously. But in this moment, I'm fearing that triangle. And if they're not going to do the triangle, I don't know why you set it up at all. That's why I think I'm so into it, because I'm so curious where it's going to go. And there's enough mystery there that I can't put together the pieces of what it means. And Mm -hmm. part of me thinks it's going to evolve into a really interesting discussion about something. Maybe. It could go somewhere that I'm not anticipating. Yeah. And if that's the case, that's true. But the two possible outcomes I see are two outcomes I would rather not explore. Yeah. And I think the way that my brain works is I go to like 20 different places. And so I see all like the negative stuff like, oh, they can't cheat, you know, like, but then I also see like where else it could branch off to. And nothing technically happened. No, no. It's just like a little sparkle of like, hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. And because sometimes the show like will let stuff marinate for a long time. So fingers Mm -hmm. crossed, you know, season four, um, (laughs) we might not ever hear about anything until season four. It's possible. So what I appreciate is this show does leave things and you're kind of like, oh, is that ever going to come up again? And then sometimes it does like six episodes into the future in another season, you kind of get that resolution. So. That's why I think I get excited about it because I like what they do with that stuff. But Mm. I can understand where you're coming from. (laughs) I thought the Dolly cameo was fun and it was an interesting vehicle to use in the story. I was sad about Havina's decision to bring Topa in to this fold the way that she did. And I'm just going to say it. I sadly look at her with more of a cautious eye now. I know she arrived at like, I got to fix this. But the forethought to know that that's not the way to do it is what I was looking for. And the damage was done by asking Topa. Because I thought about the whole when you idolize somebody, you want to make them happy. You want to like, look, I'm showing up and I'm like, I'm, I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. So that was disappointing because maybe that's not the way Havina meant it. And she needed to learn that that's what was happening, but it still happened. And so that it bummed me out a bit, if I'm being honest. I get it. But overall, the end of this episode was my big star. I feel like the last 10 minutes was the payoff I was hoping for. And it was just another visually beautiful episode with a lot of space porn that I enjoyed. (laughs) So, So, Rob, what is your takeaway from this episode? I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. Despite it being the longest episode to date, I thought it was paced incredibly well and had just enough action throughout that any time we were doing with a lot of talking scenes we got a nice action scene and that changes the pace a little and then i was never bored going through this it all felt like it flowed really well peter macon and adrian palicki are once again great we were complimenting them a lot during a tale of two topas and it feels like this is part of that story continuing chad coleman despite being in this episode for only a short time turns in one of his best performances on the show i thought he was fantastic he was and having rena owen back as havina is always a treat i had mentioned in a prior episode that i was happy to have her back in any form really yeah she was just a simulation then and i made a comment something like oh i hope she comes back and we get to see her like havina proper so they did that. Yeah. We just continue to manifest things as we're going. Ooh, through what do we want to manifest? I know, right? <laughs> so it was really exciting to see her back again because I absolutely love her character. And even though I had some of those same reservations as you did early in the episode, and there were parts where I was like, 
I don't know if she would have made these decisions. She did get some level of redemption by the end that made me feel okay. Like she owned up to her mistakes. She realized them. Yes, she shouldn't have made them in the first place. But I also do understand that tunnel vision to where you're not thinking about consequences and you're just thinking about what the opportunity in front of you is. Yes, you could say that Havina should be wiser than she acted in this episode, but I think it's okay to allow characters to make mistakes at times as long as they own up to them. And that doesn't completely redeem her. It doesn't keep her at the level she was at. But like you said, maybe that's also the point. Maybe it's a way of taking your idols down a peg and understanding that they're just people too. It was a way to like humanize is the wrong word because it's Mocklins, you right, know. <laughs> right. But it is like that thing where over the seasons we've built Havina up to be like, oh, and so this shows a different side of Havina that you don't expect. Yeah. And it sucks, but it's also very real. Havina makes mistakes too. And that's the thing that I think, even though I'm like disappointed in Havina, Rena Onan does an amazing job. She's so good. It's a phenomenal character. And so Sometimes in shows, you just want your favorite characters to always be like, oh, they're just so perfect all the time. And then when there's a reality thrown at you, you're like, oh. And I think the Orville does a good job at doing that and not just making everything fanciful and perfect and all your heroes and they never do anything wrong and they're perfect all the time. And so I think it's a different approach to television that I'm used to seeing sometimes because it's usually very like they are only good or they are only bad. It brings up stuff you don't think about. She pulls Topa aside. I'm like, what is going on right now? Excuse me? But I knew there wasn't really any ill intent. Yeah. And that's, I think, the difference is I still don't agree with it, but it did make me look at Havina differently. I'm a little bit wary of her, but I think that may have been the point. I think it also hits a little harder with Havina. Yeah. Because we've talked in the past about how none of these characters are portrayed as perfect. Yeah. So we never had the beacon of wisdom and hope that Havina always was. That character doesn't exist in this show. Yeah. Except for her. So when they take her down a peg, it's like, but that's the one we had. (laughs) Yeah. I liked the juxtaposition, too, of Ed being the voice of reason. Mm -hmm. And it just shows like everybody has their moments of being the wisest person in the room. Sure. And I do enjoy that commentary because it is. It's like fantasy thinking. You put the person on the pedestal and then sometimes they have to take a step down. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good reminder that at the end of the day, we all do make mistakes. Yeah. Sometimes they're pretty huge ones. I have seen that some people online, because people are already talking about the episode, Mm -hmm. are upset with the decision to depict a child being tortured. But I think it was necessary for the story. It would take something major for the Union to break ties with the Mocklins, Mm -hmm. given how much they generally bend over backwards for them, like we talked about. And we needed something strong enough to make Clyden's change of mindset believable. Yeah. Because he was so dead set on his culture and the way other Mocklins were that I don't know if I would have bought a change under any other circumstances. It had to be something extreme. And this does it. This is a new low for the Mocklins, one that inspires others to finally tolerate them no more. I also feel like the Orville was on Fox for two seasons and there's a lot of limitations. So they're on Hulu now. And my mindset is the show has grown up in ways that it could not before because Mm -hmm. of being 
and when you're on cable television, you can't always do some of the things that you want to do. Right. And while they still have the same structure and the same bones and the same feel to the show, it's broaching stuff this season that is a lot more deeper dive than I think the past couple seasons. And I can understand, like, it's upsetting to see those things. Yeah. I was upset watching the Kalons get shocked in those episodes because Same. like it's it's what it represents. Yes. And I think that's what's so upsetting is like they're so clever with this show. Like when Isaac committed suicide, it makes it more palatable because you're like, it's a robot. Mm-hmm. You're not actually seeing someone do that. Right. Watching someone deactivate themselves is very different. But I do feel like sometimes there's something to be said about showing those things because it brings it evokes an emotion in you that is strong and it can also help propel that story forward. Like you're saying, Clyden's change of heart. Mm-hmm. The Mocklin's no longer being a part of the union. All this stuff is very delicate. And I don't really know that there's a right answer for me to say about it, but I can see why the storytelling they're doing this season is a little different. Yeah. And like, listen, I mean, I used to watch Game of Thrones. That show was like hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> And when you think about it in terms of they have more creative liberties now, the show is on Hulu. They can push the envelope in certain areas a little bit, but they're also trying to tell stories that make you feel something and make you want to root for these characters and also make you think. And I think that that's what these episodes are doing. And when they put something on screen that's uncomfortable to watch, it's because they want you to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) That's the whole point. Yeah. Lastly, two interesting thoughts moving forward. One is very much in line with what you had said already, is that the Union has been losing allies as the season goes on. First it was the Krill, now it's the Mocklins. And I am bracing for the inevitable Kalon War and curious to see how all parties will act when it actually happens. It'll just be a big picnic at the end. Sure. (laughs) Everyone's going to bring sides and it'll be fine. The other thing moving forward is that we've talked repeatedly about them dropping things in on purpose for something in the future, and they rarely do that by accident. Mm -hmm. One thing I found very interesting about this episode is as much importance as they put on it, they never named the Mockless Contact. I noticed that as well. In my brain, Mark and I were like, is it Clyden? Like, and I'm like, no, I had that Clyden? thought too. Yeah. And I, so we were just like talking like, oh, is it? Yeah. And I think by the end of the episode, so much had happened that I think it fell out of my brain. Mm-hmm. But that is very true. They never mentioned who the contact might be. I'm very interested to see who it will be because I feel like it's going to come back up. And if we're thinking about Mocklins that we know by name, if it's not someone new, which I can't imagine, the only other thought that comes to mind is Lokar. Yeah, I've been thinking about Lokar a lot this season for some reason. Maybe we're going to manifest Lokar showing back up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Got to think about what I want to manifest in this season so that it can just happen the last two episodes. There's a lot. There's a lot I want to manifest. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I got. Same. Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a big fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one sentence review. I think the Mocklins who took Topa are just suffering from tiny Clafosh syndrome. 
Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.